Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Uh, We're continuing in the series we started uh, to kick off the new year, the Gospel of Mark. And I'm going to keep emphasizing the word gospel because that's the word that Mark used to challenge the thinking of the people in his day and to change the thinking of the people in his day. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Mark, second book in the New Testament, Gospel of Mark. Um, I'm going to put the one verse that we ended up covering last week up on the screen, and then we're going to all open our Bibles. So uh, Mark chapter 1 begins this way. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, where it says good news, that's a Greek word that translates into the gospel. It's the word that we use for gospel. And the word gospel was only used in that day, and we talked about this last week, for a herald, someone who would come in and they would have like a scroll and they would go to a town and they would say, the gospel or the good news of king so-and-so. And they would proclaim the gospel or the good news of that king. Now, uh, we also said, like, if you see someone with a badge today, right, the expectation is that they're probably law enforcement. They might be local law enforcement for the borough. They might be for the county. They might be for the state. But if you see someone flashing a badge, we generally think, oh, that person's involved in law enforcement. And the same was true if someone came out with a scroll and used the words, the gospel of so-and-so, then the understanding was, hey, that so-and-so must be a king because he has a herald coming out and sharing and proclaiming his gospel. So by starting his letter this way, Mark was announcing himself as a herald of Jesus. He starts out, hey, the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. So he's announcing himself as a herald of Jesus, someone who's supposed to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And he ends his letter that way. He ends his letter in Mark chapter 16 with this. This is Jesus speaking. He said, go to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel or the good news to all creation. So Mark was very big on making sure that the gospel was proclaimed. Now, here's the thing. This is the NIV version. Most of the versions have the same language. I want to put it up in the complete Jewish Bible version because it's just a little bit different, right? It says, then he, this is Jesus speaking, said to them, as you go throughout the world, proclaim the good news. So it's not, hey, go into the world. It's as you go throughout the world. So as you move from one location to another, proclaim the good news. As you go to your new workplace, proclaim the good news. As you go to a new school, a new job, as you go to places within your circles of influence throughout the world, you're supposed to proclaim the good news. This was the first great commission because Mark was written some 20 or 25 years before any of the other New Testament letters. And most of us, when we think of the Great Commission, we think of Matthew, which says, you know, go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But for the first two and a half decades, the only Great Commission 
that was distributed throughout the Christian world was go proclaim the good news or the gospel to everyone. It didn't matter if you were baptizing them, just go share the gospel. It didn't matter if you were trying to make disciples. The first great commission was just go share the gospel. Go tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. So that's how Mark starts his letter. Uh, but now if you have a Bible, open it up to Mark uh, chapter 1, because Mark was announcing himself as a herald of Jesus, and he was also proclaiming Jesus was king, because only kings had heralds. So in Mark chapter 1, again, and we just read through verse 1, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, where it says the beginning, he says this is the beginning of the gospel, and then he goes for 16 chapters. They didn't have chapters back then, but then writes this long letter. So this whole letter is the beginning of the good news. And then in verse 2, it says, It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in a desert, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths from him. This is from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And he says this. So the first thing Mark does is he says, hey, this is the beginning of the gospel, the good news uh, of Jesus Christ. Then he quotes from Isaiah the prophet. And then he says this, verse 4, And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So if you, if you come out with a, a, you know, a letter and you're proclaiming, hey, this is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which means you're proclaiming that Jesus Christ is king, you need something more than just you pulling out a scroll, right? You need something more than somebody standing in the street saying, hey, Jesus is king, or he's the Messiah, or he's the one who God promised. So what Mark does is he skips over the whole birth of Jesus Christ because that's not what he's here to communicate to people. He just wants people to know that Jesus is the savior of humanity, the Messiah, and king of heaven and earth. So he immediately points them to Old Testament scripture, which people would have known. And then he points them to John the Baptist. And look at this, verse 5. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And I feel like I need to stop here for a minute because I get this a lot, this criticism from people because I don't wear a suit and tie when I preach. I mean, if it were warmer out, I'd be in a t-shirt like most of you would be. But I get a lot of people, even pastors, like, why don't we wear suits? I feel like, I don't want to rip out the soapbox, but I feel like I need to harp on this because John was dressed like Fred Flintstone and his breath smelled like stink bugs and he still preached the gospel. And people came out, they repented of their sins, and they got saved. He didn't have on a suit and tie. He wasn't standing there with a microphone. He didn't have on his best dress Sunday. He just had on regular everyday clothes. And I guarantee you, everybody else in that day did not dress like he did. They probably dressed better. 
So vote, and I'm not saying anyone in this room has said that. I'm not saying any of you guys online have said that, for those of you that I know. But I get messages all the time. Because I'll post clips of like the sermons of specific parts, and I'll post them online, and people will say, why aren't you wearing a suit? And I'm like, because the word suit is not in the Bible. And if I actually showed up, I'd probably get fired in camel hair and a leather belt. But that would be more in line with what the Bible asks of those who are called to share the gospel. All right, I'm off the soapbox. Let me, let me, let me, let me finish that. So he, he, he ate, he, John wore clothing, made a camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, um, in case I, 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 I got to make this point, because in case you're not looking, this is what John does, right? John, or excuse me, what Mark does, he specifically points people back to the Bible. Granted, they didn't have the complete word of God, but to the Old Testament. He says, hey, I want to point you guys as evidence that Jesus is king to Isaiah the prophet. Now, everyone would have known who Isaiah was, just like, you know, if you go through school today, you learn about famous English people in history who did, uh, you know, um, things for our country or whatever. Everyone would have known Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah made prophecies about nations that were going to rise, nations that were going to fall, and they did. He named specific people hundreds of years before they were born, and then hundreds of years later, those people were born and did the things that Isaiah said they were going to do. Right? So the first thing Mark does is say, hey, I want to point you to Isaiah. And he points them to Isaiah. And what Isaiah does is say, hey, I want to point you to someone who you all know. I'm not John the Baptist, John the Baptist, because everyone would have known John the Baptist. Right? It's like when we see, unfortunately, when we hear of such and such famous person died, even if we like didn't like him or know him, we're like, oh, I know that name. Everyone, because it only would have been about 25 years or so when John the Baptist was beheaded for sticking to the word of God and criticizing the governmental leaders for not doing so. So everyone would have known John the Baptist and it only would have been 20 or 25 years or so when everyone's like, you remember when all the people in Jerusalem and in, in Judea, they went out to the countryside to see that guy dressed in camel hair and his breath smelled like stink bug. And, but everyone went out and he baptized people and they repented of their sins. Everyone would have remembered that. So what Mark does to say, hey, I want to show you that it's not just me standing here with a scroll saying that Jesus is the king. I'm going to point you to Isaiah who had fulfilled prophecy, and Isaiah pointed them to John the Baptist, who fulfilled prophecy in their lifetime, and John the Baptist said, hey, I want to point you guys to Jesus, because that's the one who's going to baptize you with the power of the living God. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay, all right. Keep reading. And then verse 9, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth and Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he, meaning 
John the Baptist, saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him, meaning Jesus like a dove, and a voice from the heaven, which was God the Father, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. So this is, this is, what, this is what Mark does. Because Mark is the one who's proclaiming that Jesus is king. He says, I want to give you guys some eyewitness evidence of that. So first he gives them historical evidence, fulfilled prophecy. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter if you're Christian, non-Christian, Jewish, Buddhist, which weekend, whatever, it doesn't matter. We cannot deny if something in history happened. It happened. We may not like it. It may prove what we're saying it may disprove what we're saying it doesn't matter we don't get to change it history happened nothing we can do about it unless you have a tardis you're just stuck with whatever happened in history right so he points them to hey i want to give you some evidence that this happened so he points them to isaiah then he says i want to give you some human evidence Because this is not just me, Mark, who's up here saying that Jesus is king. So he points them to John the Baptist, who fulfilled prophecy, a prophecy that was made 700 years before, but that was fulfilled in their lifetime just some 20 some odd years ago as evidence that Jesus is king. And then he says, just in case that's not enough, I want to give you the Holy Spirit as evidence. Because all the people who were out there and saw him baptized would have known beyond a shadow of a doubt that, yeah, we heard that voice too. We don't know what it was. And John says, but I do. And then he goes on and he says this, at once the spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, sent him, Jesus, out into the desert. As he was in the desert, 40 days being tempted by Satan, he was with the wild animals and angels attended him. So he says, hey, not just the Holy Spirit, but even the angelic beings, the host of heaven. Even Satan, although he's the enemy, came out and came against Jesus because Jesus was the son of God. And he tempted him to prove that he was the son of God. So John says, hey, I don't, I don't, I'm not just talking out the side of my neck here. There is historical evidence that shows Jesus is king of heaven and earth. There is human evidence. And then, of course, there's supernatural evidence that shows that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the son of uh, God, and that the claims that Mark were making were true. So here's the thing, though, because... What does that mean for us, right? Because there's still people today who, it, yeah, you know, I, I talk to people. Let me, let me sidetrack this for a minute. I talk to people every day who find it difficult to believe that the Bible is true. They find it difficult to believe that miracles exist. And they find it difficult to believe that just because someone, you know, 2,000 years ago said, yeah, Jesus is king, doesn't mean Jesus is king. And the question I usually ask them is, well, I can understand that because I found it difficult to believe too. But are you seeking the truthful answer or are you just trying to defend a position? Because if I'm just trying to defend my position, it doesn't matter what the Bible says, doesn't matter what evidence there is, I can just, ah, I don't believe that. 
I've had those conversations with people where like, here's the evidence for A, B, and C. They're like, ah, well, I don't want to accept your evidence. Okay, there's nothing. Then why are we having this conversation? But for those people that are seeking truth, it's hard to deny, like, when history supports it, when, when miracles support it, when supernatural evidence supports it. And I had this conversation, actually, I had this conversation with someone because I got it out of a book, right? Because I, I, uh, there was a, uh, I can't remember the name of the book, but it gave this example because not every miracle is easy to believe, right? Just because something claims to be a miracle doesn't mean it's from God. So uh, the example it gave was this, and I shared this with them, and yeah, um, the example it gave was this. If you had a tree outside of your house, how many guys have trees outside of your house? Yeah, lots of us have trees outside of your house. Um, if you had a tree outside of your house, that was just, you know, maybe it was an apple tree, maybe it was there just providing shade or whatever, uh, for 5, 10, 15 years, tree just growing outside of your house. But then one morning you come out and the tree that has been outside of your house in the same spot for 5, 10, or 15 years, you come out one morning and that tree has moved 10 feet same tree, move 10 feet, no evidence that the tree was where it was before, but just one morning, this tree is now in a totally different spot. Now, some people would say, well, there's probably a, probably a logical explanation, and there might be. That doesn't mean it was God, right? There's no evidence that God did that. There's no proof that God did that. So I have no reason to believe that God did that. For all I know, Gary did that, you know? Went on a binger, decided, let's play a prank on Floyd, yada, yada, yada. But there's no evidence that God did that, which is true. But if I go and I open a book that was written 700 years ago, and it says that on a specific day, at a specific address, outside of a specific house, a specific tree is going to move a specific number of feet. That's kind of hard to disprove that, yeah, maybe God had something to do with that, especially if the person who made that claim 700 years ago said God was going to do it. Now, if there was another person who 500 years ago made that same claim and someone 300 years ago made that same claim, and they all made the same claim that at a specific house, at a specific address, a specific tree in a specific location is going to move a specific number of feet. And they all claim they know that because God did it. The people in their day might look at them and laugh. But for those of us, because of history, who look back and say, yeah, you guys have all been to my house. You know the tree was here. You guys are all looking at it right now over here just like me. You guys have all read the same thing I did where multiple people, different people in different locations throughout history hundreds of years ago all said this was going to happen and all said it was going to be because of God kind of hard to deny, right? I mean, we may not want to believe it. It may challenge our beliefs, 
But it's kind of hard to deny that, yeah, God did that. Now, here's the thing. Peter, uh, I want to share this verse with you from Peter. Peter says this. Peter is writing to a group of people who are being ridiculed, ostracized, humiliated, and some persecuted physically because they believe the word of God. They believe that Jesus is king. And he writes to them, he says, but even in case you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, for standing up and doing the right thing because the word of God tells you to, but then people make fun of you, your coworkers laugh at you, uh, people that you normally would have lunch with stop having lunch with you because you're saying, hey, I, I, I can't do that kind of stuff anymore because I believe the word of God. I believe that Jesus is king of heaven and earth. He says, even if you suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed, you're happy, you're to be envied. And he says, do not dread or be afraid of their threats, nor be disturbed by their opposition. Because just like with Mark, just like with Isaiah, just like with us, there are going to be people who when you say, hey, I believe this, or I'm going to take a stand because of this, or I'm not going to go along with this thing because I believe what the word of God says, they're going to laugh at you. They're going to make fun of you. They're not going to invite you to hang out anymore. And Peter, the reason why I'm focusing on Peter is because it is believed theologically that Peter is the one who provided Mark with a lot of the information that Mark used when he wrote his gospel. Mark was one of the disciples, one of the people who spent time with Jesus. He was not an apostle, one of the 12. And we'll get to that a little bit later on. But then Peter goes on and says, he says, in your hearts, set Christ apart as holy and acknowledge him as Lord. This is the amplified version. He says, in your hearts, because elsewhere in the Bible, it says, our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all things. Our hearts lead us to do things that we may not normally do. Our hearts lead us to say, yeah, I'm going to get in a relationship with this woman, or I'm going to get in a relationship with this guy, or I'm going to quit my job, and I'm going to learn how to play a guitar and be a millionaire, or something else. Because with our hearts, that's where our passion comes from. So what Peter says is, in your heart, set apart Christ as holy. Take that same passion that you have for that person in your life, uh, that music, that thing that you like to do, whatever it is, give that same passion to following Jesus as king of heaven and earth. And he says... Always be prepared to give a logical defense to anyone who asks you to account for the hope that is in you. But do it courteously. Did I say that right? Courteously and respectfully. So yeah, with the, my passion and my drive and desire, I'm going to set Christ as Lord, but then in my head, logically and reasonably, I'm going to be able to give an account for why my hope is in Jesus Christ. And one of the things, when I talk to a lot of people, their thing is, hey, you know what? Um, you Christians are just filled with hope. Your faith is on nothing. And I'm like, hey, there's a whole lot of evidence for believing that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's not nothing. It's the foundation for our belief. 
the historical evidence, the human evidence, and yes, if you're willing to accept it, the supernatural or spiritual evidence that allows us to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's why Mark said, hey, if you believe all that, then go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. If you believe all that, then go as you go out into the world to new uh, workplaces, to new. And we're, we're not supposed to beat people over the head with the Bible. And, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of fire and brimstone people. You're going to hell if you don't get right with Jesus. All we're supposed to do is tell people with our, the passion that we have in our hearts and the logical understanding we have of who Jesus is that Jesus is king of heaven and earth. That he loved us enough that he gave his own life that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. That's the gospel. That's what we're supposed to share with people. That's what we're supposed to tell people as we go into our workplaces and our homes and our schools and anywhere else. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand. And we're going to close out with a quick time of prayer. Because we all know that we have family, we have friends, we have coworkers, we have frenemies that don't believe that Jesus is the savior of humanity. But we also know that if God allows us to, that we can have good, wholesome conversations with them and communicate to them the truth of God's word that Jesus is the savior of humanity. So God, we we ask that you would... uh, Just equip us as your people to do the thing that you have called us to do, to be faithful to the great commission, the first one shared with the Christian world, and that is to go into the world and preach the gospel, the good news to all creation. Not to force it upon people, not to get in arguments or debates with people, but just to carefully and respectfully share your truth with people that Jesus is the savior of humanity and the king of heaven and earth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you did, please leave a comment on our webpage crossroadsofjeffersonhills.com or our Facebook page. You can also join our Sunday celebration every Sunday at 1037 a.m. We look forward to hearing from you online or in person. Thank you and God bless.